This episode was recorded prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. To understand the world, you must first understand a place like Mississippi. Mississippi native, William Faulkner. MWB may be turning 50 years old, but the state of Mississippi turned 200 back in 2018. The crowning jewel of our bicentennial celebration was the opening of the two Mississippi museums, the Mississippi Museum of History and the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum. These museums have proven to be a real magnet for tourists from around the globe. Joining us now in studio to talk about the two Mississippi museums are Pamela Jr., executive director of the two Mississippi museums, and Stephanie Morrissey from the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. Thank both of you for being here this morning. Thank you. Thank you. We're excited. Let's delve right into talking about the the, the two museums. That's the that's the history museum and the and the civil rights museum. That's a destination I think that we anticipated and has proven to be a, a national draw, a really an international draw. Can Pamela, if we start with you, can you discuss the nature of some of the visitors that that you've experienced come through the museums? Well, you know, I think that People are interested in the state of Mississippi. People are interested in what has happened, the good and the bad. They're they're trying to understand the resilience of people. And they come here with those questions. How did you go through being enslaved? What are the, I mean, how do you feel? Are you mad? What, what, what has Mississippi done that's so great? Because we always hear the bad things. So what you do is you start talking about what is good about Mississippi. And the first thing I say is that you're standing in those. And those are two Mississippi museums. On the on the day that the two museums opened, it was in December of twenty eight of twenty eighteen. I don't remember the exact date, but what were you feeling at that moment? With I believe Merle Evers was 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 on stage, the the widow of slain civil rights icon uh, Medgar Evers, for the dedication. What just emotions were going on in you when you have this this culmination of? something so long in the making actually coming to fruition. Well, if, if you're asking me how I felt, I was totally emotional. Uh, not only did I have friends and family in the audience, but they were looking at me like, you know, you made it. And so that was big for me. And it was very a very emotional day. I was getting texts while I was on the stage, listening to Merle Evers, a black girl that grew up in Jackson, in West Jackson, off of Lynch Street. There's nothing else I need to say. Most famous person that texted you that day while you were on stage was? I don't know about famous, but I I got texts from just people that I knew. And uh, people that, let me just say this, there were people that I thought didn't like me, (laughs) saw me on CNN, and they were messaging me on Facebook and saying, I see you, Pamela Jr. So, and that was great. You know, I I mended some relationships (laughs) through the opening of the two Mississippi museums. Well, I think that's what it's all about. Oh, definitely. Is mending is definitely part of what that's all about. Definitely. So that was that was appropriate. We'll we'll come back to the to the museums. Uh, we've got lots of questions about that, but I want to turn to Stephanie for a moment. The two museums that fall under the purview of archives and history are certainly, as we said, global right. tourism assets. Absolutely, but that's far from everything from no. a history tourism standpoint. Right. So what what are some of these other assets that are around the state that 
people interested in history may may visit? Well, the state as a whole, and I think it's highlighted through the the other sites that the Department of Archives and History operates, um, really gives you the breadth and depth of the state's history from the first people's and what we didn't know of or think of as Mississippi from thousands of years before, but what we do know today. Um, we have uh, two mound sites, Winterville Mounds outside of Greenville and uh, Grand Village of the Natchez Indians in, in Natchez. And that's indigenous American yes. mound burial mm-hmm. sites. Right. Well, not burial sites, they're ceremonial sites. And, oh, okay. and the um, Mound A at Winterville Mounds outside of Greenville is one of the largest ceremonial mounds, certainly not as large as in Cahokia or uh, Enrolled Mound down the road on the park uh, Parkway, but it is, it's, it's impressive. It's large. It really shows there was a, a society working and living in that area. Grand Village of the Natchez Indians is particularly interesting because it was very well documented because there was that moment of intersection between Native American people, um, European, um, you know, uh, what would we say, uh, people out there discovering what they call the new world, right? And as well as when African, enslaved African people are brought, that intersection is happening at Grand Village of the Natchez Indians. And the French were one of the first on the scene from a European perspective and documented through drawings and journals. And so we have a lot of information about that site and the people at the time that is unique to a lot of um, earlier native peoples who had rich traditions, but were not being kept down in what we think of as, you know, like a paper form. So, um, so we have that as well. And we have house museums. We have the Eudora Welty House and Garden, premier writer in the United States. Uh, she donated her house to the archives in order to uh, continue to encourage young people to read and to write. And so we have that house as well that is open um, and it's beautiful. If you ever run out of some idea of what you want to read, you should go tour the house and you can check out our books and see right. what you can't literally check them out, but you can look at them it, and get still, ideas. It's still in the condition she left yes, it in. Is that right? It, right, is, that right? it is. It is. It's set in the uh, early 1980s, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Stacks of books. Oh, it's so cool. And you have the Smith Robertson Museum. So those are not operated by the department. Oh, They're sorry. partners. No, that's okay. But that just goes to show there are all these other amazing museums, not just that operated by the Department of Archives and History, but that are operated all across the state that um, if we swing it back to the two Mississippi museums for a minute, there is an explore panel and, and the museums encouraging people to go visit the Smith Robertson Museum and the Ida B. Wells uh, Museum in the Northeast corner and Faulkner's house and um, just a variety of places all across the state. So, and the trails that connect everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those things are very important because we need to be, you know, I tell people we're like the nucleus now. So we have all these arms outstretched and these are our partners that we work with. Well, let's talk about that a little, if we can, history tourism is, it's not a new concept for sure. A lot of other, other regions of the country and even internationally, probably more so internationally, really thrive off of history tourism. But Pamela, what do you feel makes this state, makes Mississippi really one of a kind for your history enthusiast? Well, I think that, first of all, they didn't think that Mississippi would be telling the truth. 
if the stories would be truthful. So people are wanting to know about 15,000 years of Mississippi history, how it started, what happened, when the people came in, enslavement. They want to know about cotton. They just want to know what makes Mississippians tick. And then on the other side with the with the civil rights movement, they they want to understand who are these regular folks? As I say, the regular Joe Blows or the regular Josephine Blows who did made such a phenomenal impact on the state to bring about change. Because with the 1890 Constitution, everything just changed. And so now you're wanting people who were had warrior spirits to be able to fight back in a nonviolent way in order to make a difference. What do you believe surprises people the most when they visit the museums? First of all, that there are two museums in, 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 in the big building. They, they don't understand that there are two museums. I just had a gentleman as I was walking out of the museum earlier who said, so there are two museums in this building? Yes, sir. Civil rights is here. History is here. Really? So they don't understand that connection until they get in. And we try to make sure that people hit the history museum first. That way they understand why there was a civil rights movement. We want people to get the complete story, even if they just walk in and say, well, we want to go see the civil rights museum. We want to change that. We want to shift it so they can understand that the history starts in the history museum first. And then they get the complete story by going into civil rights. And it, and it's an opportunity for them to share in that story, too, with uh, so many of the things that y'all do in there in the two museums. Oh yeah, definitely. And you have a lot of people who come in who have their own stories and we're always there ready to listen, ready to talk to them about their stories. We had one young lady just recently in gallery two, which is called in the civil rights museum called uh, Mississippi in black and white. And she walked in and she saw the lynching monoliths and she saw the last name Higginbottom. And that was her relative. And once she went in for debriefing and started talking about it, she she cried. And not only that, I was in another location and I was working on something and a gentleman there, his that was his relative. So now you're connecting people who may not even know that they're related to each other. It's so much that can happen in these museums. Genealogy, people are interested in who they are, what they are. Just the other day, we had 45 people who came in to learn about beginner's genealogy because they want to know who they are and what they come from. And you have generations coming through. I mean, you have these very young uh, yes. children coming through that ha- have no connection or may may not have that connection. And, and, you know, I mean, some of these concepts for civil rights hard to wrap your head around today for kids, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and this is, as our former governor, William Winter said, the largest classrooms in the state of Mississippi. You can't beat that. Excellent way to put that. Stephanie, let me ask you, we're specifically talking today about history tourism, right? But just because we're talking about history, does it mean it has to be antiquated and dusty? Right. Can you discuss some of the more innovative things or programs that are happening around some of our historic sites or, or historic tourism assets that people can expect or maybe that they would not expect? I think that this might be a little counterintuitive. So certainly we have um, 
We have some uh, audio tours in the Civil Rights Museum. We have QR codes up so you can get more information while you're in there. But I think, and and also we have uh, some mound, we have a mound trail and and, uh, you can drive your way through that and see, which is a different way to approach um, history being on a site, but to kind of explore a region through, you know, on your own time in a car, but also um, stopping at points along the way. So those are all you know, great ways to get at it. But I do think what museums, what our museums offer, if we can touch back on what Pam was saying, is that we're offering Mississippi stories in the context of knowing they are really America's stories. If you want to know what, why we are where we are in, in a lot of ways, you can look at the stories of Mississippi, the pain, the growth, the good, the good parts, the not good parts, the difficult parts that where we were not all that we should have been um, for people who were in power and the oppression that happened, all of those things. But our story is not just limited to what happened in Mississippi. It really speaks to the to all of us. And if you want to know American history, knowing Mississippi's history is a great place to start or to know more about your own particular region and go back and look at it. So all of that is to say that really artifacts, I think you cannot replace that. So we are looking at moving into apps. We are doing distance learning. We have um, working with classrooms, live streams. We are all of those great things. And technology helps us so much expand the borders of the museum and open it up. But there is no way to replace, Mark, what you were saying about bringing students in to see the real stuff. Because when you can say, that is the razor that Medgar Evers used, that he shaved himself with on the coast, left that, went back up to Jackson and then was murdered. Like, you know, like you just can't get away from what that small artifact really represents. And so we have the the greatest collection of Mississippi related, hence, as we said, American artifacts um, on display in the museums. And you and and some of it seems, oh, if you just saw a razor, why is there a razor? but it speaks to a person. And I think that's really what touches people um, when they, and they can also see things that were similar that their family had, that they, you know, they can recognize themselves in those pieces. And I don't think that um, we can replace that. Although certainly we want more people to get out and we are working on that as well. But um, it's the artifacts and the stories and the connections. And I I think a, a unique thing that our history tourism products offered really throughout the state is a deviation from um, so much of so much of history is built around the great man theory and and we do we do have we do have some of that when when from Medgar Evers to Ida B. Wells or, or whoever it may be so we definitely have have some of that but as you're saying the artifacts also speak to the everyday lives and experiences, whether it be segregation era Mississippi, whether it be reconstruction era Mississippi, all the way back to to the the pre-Columbian times. So I, I to me, I don't see a lot of other museums focusing on things like that, but we have a wealth of that here. We do. And I think in the Museum of Mississippi History, what's interesting in the last the last gallery is a very contemporary um, early 2000s. It covers Hurricane Katrina, which for those of us who are 
not just Mississippians. We all know, Katrina, you don't need to say anything else. But we are also have collected a lot of artifacts from the uh, from the growing immigrant communities in Mississippi. So you assume Mississippi, Mississippi in black and white. But we also know that's not that's not true. And it's growing and changing. And so, for example, we have a um, a, a a sitar in in the museum that was just recently donated. Uh, we have um, all sorts of amazing artifacts in that case that you would just not expect. Um, and I think that that is also exciting because people think they know Mississippi. And we may even think as Mississippians, we know Mississippi, but we're uh, always a surprising group of people. And, and I think you get that. We're a smorgasbord. Mm-hmm. It's just a smorgasbord right. of yeah. people who have come together, this stirring, this pot right. that we can stir of all these different cultures, which makes us amazing. Right. A lot of people may not know that we have a, a, a museum of Muslim cultures. Right. Exactly. In the, in the exactly. exactly. And I think that's mm-hmm. really shocking to right. a lot of people. Pamela, you have been doing this a long time. You were executive director of the Smith Robertson Museum prior to the Mississippi Museums. What keeps you excited on a daily basis? Passion. Not only my passion, but the passion of the people. It's like a pulse for me that when I'm able to be out there, someone told me recently, you never see executive directors as as much as we see you. I like to walk. I like to be around people who don't know me. Yes, my face is recognizable, but there are people that don't know me. That's a good thing. And I listen to what they're saying about the museums. That gives me hope that these museums are going to make not only Mississippi, but America a better place to live. That keeps me going at my age. I'm still working and to be still doing something. You know, you see that passage that says that, you know, uh, getting up to go to a job, you know, that you love. I love waking up every morning and being around history. Amazing. Let me just clarify. Pamela is 32 years old. She's been doing this <laughs> since she was eight. I wish. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned hearing what people are saying about the museums, being out there um, among the visitors. What, what are some of the things that have stuck out in your mind that people have said? That they can't believe that Mississippi has opened up and they're telling the truth. And usually when I hear that, I say to them is that, you know, finally the bandage has been taken off of a wound. Now, how do we make it? It wasn't quick. Exactly. It wasn't wasn't quick. It was a painful way to do it. But it was a lot of medication put on that that wound. (laughs) But now finally, finally the bandages are off. And now we're open. We can talk about this. You know, one person that I saw that really came a lot to the museum, and I know that he's a busy gentleman is Governor Phil Bryant. He he came in wanting to get the history, wanting to understand the civil rights movement. That was great for me. And whenever he came, I was there to give him a tour and to talk uh, a lot in depth about different areas. He wanted to know. So people want to know about the history. They want to understand us. They do. And y'all talked about Katrina earlier, Stephanie, you did. And, and uh, just the way we come together as a people, all all races, you know, creeds and, and everything. But, you know, when things happen now in Mississippi, we respond together, I think is a good. 
good thing that's really happening. That I, was I'd definitely an example there. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and even on that day that we opened, that amazing day when it was icy and snowy. It was cold. I remember that. Cold. It was cold that day. I've never been so cold. It does get cold in Mississippi, people. It does. It does. And the amount of people that were there still sticks with me because people were proud on that day to just be there. Stephanie, um, follow up to something that I, that I asked a moment ago. So you, you are with the department of archives and history, which is a state agency right. here, here in Mississippi. And if I just said to Joe Blow or Josephina Blow, <laughs> archives and history, that's going to conjure up probably an image of a librarian and a, and a huge stack of books and maybe one of those ladders that you slide back and forth to get the books on the top shelf. But I would like for you to talk a little about some of these surprising programs that Archives and History is involved in that people might not necessarily associate with, with your agency. Absolutely. We are a comprehensive um, archival um, historic preservation and museum agency, which is a little unusual. Usually those things in other, most other states get split up. So um, here's something that people might not think of, or certain folks, if they are used to thinking of us as museums, then they are probably not aware that we are also uh, have a historic preservation section that works very diligently on helping people across the state preserve historic buildings. Um, not in, not forcing anyone to preserve anything, but helping them preserve things in their community. We offer grants to help them with those programs to uh, either work on their, in their downtown, if it might be some type of uh, commercial use for a building to save a building, or it might be your own home. And maybe you want to turn that into a bed and breakfast, or there's a house that's very old in your community and you want to save it. So we are there to support and help with that. Um, we also invest, have archaeological sites and are constantly um, working in the field and developing that and, and new information about the native peoples and the first peoples that were in the state. Um, Mississippi has an incredibly rich archaeological um, history that people don't realize, but we do have uh, Grand Village of the Natchez Indians. If you happen to live in Natchez, they have a regular speaker series and archaeologists come and talk about all of the amazing things they're doing in a language that we can all understand. <laughs> so that's great. Um, just, I mean, those are just some small, small things, but, but the department is really a resource for everybody. What's, what's the most notable historic preservation project that you've been involved with? What, what leaps to mind first? Oh, well, that I have personally been involved with when I first started here, the, if we can kind of circle back to Hurricane Katrina for a minute, um, Katrina had uh, peeled back the roof on the old Capitol Museum in 2005. That was the, the state history museum at the time. And they needed to make, we needed to make a decision, right? Um, and the decision was this could not be repaired as a state history museum. We had grown too small. And so there was work to um, focus on the actual building and all of that that went into it and work on the getting the museum together and museums. So when I came on board, they were just opening the old Capitol Museum. And I just remember thinking, this is, this is exciting. This is fun. Wow. This is a new building. 
this kind of gets to Pam's like, why do you work here? Because I had no idea at the time. I thought, oh, this is really neat. We're opening this building. Governor Bryant came. We had kids around. It was a very small, manageable version of opening day of the two Mississippi museums. And I thought, this is busy and exciting. And I had no idea what was, you know, <laughs> going to come our way. But that historic preservation project was was really incredible to start to get to know how we do things. The meticulous artisans that were hired to repair the work. Oh, those are those craftspeople. They're incredible and do beautiful work that you know, the gilding that happened, the window work. Anyway, it, it's it's beautiful. And that's really a neat thing to see. And that building, the the old, what we call the old Capitol, which was the where the original, um, the original leg- state capital, the original state capital mm-hmm. where the legislature and I think the Supreme Court yes. was housed. Mm-hmm. That's right. When, when was that building first built? Okay. You're testing my knowledge. I believe 1839. Um, I believe that is right. And it, it served as the state Capitol building until 1903? Yes. And then, then the new Capitol was opened and they moved all the offices over there. When I was in grade school, we would take tour, you know, field trips to the old Capitol. And there was a mummy in there that I haven't seen since. Yes, yes. <laughs> the mummy comes out every October. Every October. It <laughs> does. It does. Do you know about the mummy? I the believe secret? there was a scandal around yes, the mummy. Yes, there I'm was. Not, if I'm not mistaken. There was definitely a scandal. But is that something that we can talk about? Oh, yes. Are those records sealed? <laughs> no, they're unsealed now. They were x-rayed. That that mummy was x-rayed and determined to not be a mummy, but paper mache and nails and pieces of wood. Um, no, it was not a mummy, but it's still on display every October. <laughs> People can't resist seeing it. It's it kind of is an even better story. It's a little, I was going to say, it's a little more, it's a little more interesting. It's it like, wah, wah. Right, you, you right. told the story. Yeah, like, oh. Pamela, Mark wanted to play a little game with you, um, kind of based on um, kids say the darndest things. Some of the things that are maybe as, as you have... <laughs> School groups, we, we also have to keep it PG-13 rated, I guess. But as you have, have students and scholars come through the museums, and I'm s- certain that they're exposed to things that, even if they knew about it, didn't really know about it, didn't really associate. What have been some of the things that you have heard kids say that maybe surprised you? Well, let, let me go back on that one, because I've been doing this for a while, but... A young lady asked me probably in 2010, I was uh, at the slave auction at Smith Robertson. And when I finished, I asked, were there any questions? And she asked me, were you a slave? That, that did something to me. Were you a slave? And that told you that they didn't know the time periods and what have you. So that made me go back to the the mayor at that time and said, look, we got to make some changes up here. I got to redo this museum. He allowed me to close it for one year. And then, ta-da, we came up, we came out again to be able to show children what the hull of the ship, all the, the kings and queens before, just the whole enslavement of people. That did me. And just recently, there is a, a, a small casket that sits beside a clan robe and a child. I've heard uh, children ask, did a real baby 
was a real baby in that casket. And so you use those times to educate. And so then we walk up and say, A, B, C, D, if to know that was used to uh, by the clan, that that was a warning for you that was put beside your uh, on your porch. So little things like that. But but for me, what's surprising that people want to take photographs with me. I don't understand people wanting to take a photograph You're a celebrity. I, I don't see myself as that. So that surprises me that children and parents uh, and children, that's the lady that was, that. that's surprising. But as far as getting a lot of uh, people talking, it's the, the thing that children do say the darnest things. And you have to use those times as educational moments for them. What's What's been the hardest thing for young people to connect with? Mega Evers. How so? Because they come in looking for Martin Luther King. They don't understand that, you know, Martin was the face, but Mississippi's movement changed the nation. And these people like Mega were the ones leading the young folks and helping them and wanting to stand out there and did give his life. So that is the biggest thing, changing, shifting that, not shifting who MLK was, because we honor him, but just shifting the mindset enough, enough to know that there were people fighting in the state of Mississippi in order for you to be where you are and certainly for me to be where I am. And that's probably one of the places that y'all have reached out to or make connections to for people that come. Megar Evers' house. Yes, all the time. Yeah, all the yeah. time. All the time. We, we, uh, I've been in meetings and regarding trails that we want to do connectors so that we start at the two Mississippi museums. We go to Megar Smith-Robertson, then we start heading down 49. Because we have to make those connections. It tells the entire story. It does. And so many of the trails, if not physically, they philosophically intersect when we talk about the blues trails right. and the freedom trails. Mm -hmm. And 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 those things are inextricably linked, I think, probably more so in this state than, than any other state in the country, I would argue. Definitely, definitely. And we need th these small museums in the Delta. They need our help because they're off the beaten path. We have the George Lee and Fannie Lou Hamer Museum that's in Belzoni, Mississippi. It's a house. You will pass it if you don't look to the right. You will pass it and when you go in it's so amazing so there are places that that we need to be a part of so that we can get this comprehensive history of Mississippi not only just coming to the the two Mississippi museums but branching off and then Emmett Till's the the interpretive center and going to Sumner going to see the Bryant store but knowing that you see the doors when you're in the two Mississippi museums of the Bryant store so you all are that, that gives you that thirst of knowledge that you need, that you want to go out and find out more. From the time that the, specifically the Civil Rights Museum was announced as it's going to be a thing here, it's going to be built. We understood that that was going to be an international destination for travelers. What are some of the more, I guess, surprising locations that people have traveled to the, the museum from? 
we've gotten people from from um, the Netherlands, from Africa, from, you know, I, I brought something with me just to even talk a little bit about that. And uh, Australia, Brazil, Denmark, France, Germany, Israel, Japan, yeah, Japan, Switzerland, the United Kingdom, they come from everywhere. And when we first opened, uh, Stephanie so so wonderfully helped me with with to be put on radio shows and, and they would come in. And I talked to over three million people just in in France and in Africa. And it was amazing because, again, people want to understand these folks, these regular people who said no more. And they just want to understand Mississippians because we, you know, we get a bad rap in a lot of places just in how we talk and and are we educated? It's been a lot of of misnomers that they've said that are not true. Sure. We definitely have got to do a better job telling our story. And I think we are doing a better job telling oh, our story. And, and, I, and I think the museums that you oversee are really a cornerstone of, of doing that. Absolutely. Because so speaking of a trail, if you take a more um, national approach to the trail, the U.S. Civil Rights Trail that is, um, you know, connects all of the civil rights sites across the South. Um, and we are part of that. And that's also, I think, changes things for Mississippi and the profile. And it's not because you can't go to Medgar Evers house or you can't go to the Fannie Lou Hamer museum, but we just act as an anchor to pull folks in and then send people out even more. But I, I do think it helps us, um, have the, the city and the state to have a, a larger presence in terms of that, that tourism and, uh, national and international interest in us. And, and we are, we are grateful to be able to be a part of that. Stephanie, let me go a little inside baseball here mm-hmm. and ask a, a question. Um, as, as we said earlier, archives and history is a state agency. Lots of our state agencies, in Mississippi, um, sometimes deservedly, sometimes not deservedly, have gotten a reputation of acting as 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 silos unto themselves. But with your agency vis-a-vis our, our overall tourism product, it seems to me that there's been amazing cooperation between between and among the partners. Can you can you talk about how that cooperation really has flourished and, and helped boost our overall, uh, our overall tourism product. Oh, absolutely. I, I think, um, the department values collaboration in general. We have, we have internal collaboration on things, but I think it also is, um, you know, we, we were put in a spotlight that is new to us and rather than not acknowledge that we realized there are partners all across visit Mississippi, visit Jackson, the Mississippi Tourism Association, and all those connections that those help you make, and then partners with other museums uh, in the state who also have a, a high profile themselves, and then through those uh, relationships, really just helping us bring those journalists who want to come in and interview Pam and talk about the Civil Rights Museum from Germany. I think one fellow uh, has been through three times now. He's been back three times, you know, from Germany just to talk to Pam and tour the museums and keep sharing that with folks in Germany. Um, yeah, no, 
there is no way that we can, anybody can do this alone. And we are, we want to keep the visitation up because we know it's important to share the stories of the museums. And we also take the responsibility of, of the public's money and their investment very seriously and want people to be, to be coming. Um, but we also want, are proud of what's happening in the state and want to be a part of that. And people are working hard all across the state and really promoting tourism. And um, we've grown a lot. That That's also part of what keeps the job interesting and exciting. So. I, uh, I want to be very cognizant of your of your time, uh, and and thank you both for joining us today. I'm going to leave with with one question for each. Stephanie, give me, in your opinion, the most must see out of the way historical tourism site in the state. The most off the beaten path that you've got to go see this, even though you have to take three left turns on gravel roads to get there. Hmm. Three left turns. Okay. Um, metaphorical left yes, turns. Yes, metaphorical. Okay. Um, you know, there are a lot of things and I've seen a lot of things in the state and there are still things I have not seen. And I want to preface this with, I really am happy to go see everything. I don't, you know, have, I only go to this type of museum. Okay. So I want to say that, but what I'm intrigued with and that I haven't been to yet is up in uh, North Mississippi, two things. Cause if I'm going to be up that far, I can do both of them. How about that? All right. <laughs> so one, I would really like to go to Holly Springs and see Ida B. Wells museum. That's one thing. But while I'm up there, I'd also like to go see the Ingemar mounds. I think it's in union County. And traditionally we don't expect to see, um, mound sites in that corner of the state, which are there. So that's just a unique and unusual thing. You usually think of it along the Mississippi river. So I would do both of those. So very good. <laughs> Pamela. Wow. You're now I have another question oh, okay, for you. Well, you can, you can riff all that too, if you like, but I want to know what your favorite exhibit is in either, either one of your museums. Hmm. Let me just say where I spend a lot of time. I go into the church in Gallery 6 of the Civil Rights Museum. It's it's like a little hideout for me, but I I just love the singing. And I love hearing Fannie Lou Hamer's voice. That's that's what that's my favorite. Powerful. Yeah. And now I'm really intrigued as to how you were going to answer the previous question about your your must see most out of the way three left turns down a gravel road historical site going to the place the Tallahatchie River why Emmett Till I just want to be connected to him in in such a way because I'm always tell, talking about his story and there's life in artifacts there's breath in artifacts. And the first time I saw the doors and I walked in and they were placing them, something blew past me. I felt it and I had to turn around and go back to my office. So now I have to go to the river, to that spot and I'm going and I'll, I'll put on a lot of clothes or whatever, but I need to go to that area and just to, to, to be there to understand the whole travel the whole voyage for him that that painstaking voyage that he took to death yeah and 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 that 
it just, it, you know, when you said live, living, breathing, you know, and uh, in what ways for you is the museum uh, a living, breathing place that that people can really experience? Going into the History Museum and going into the Mount Ham Church and understanding that after the enslavement of Africans, that period was over, then land was given given to the the parishioners, the black ones, the, to have a church and to know that not only did, did a Baptist church come out of these people, but you have the Church of God in Christ and other religions that came out of Mississippi, out of a little place like that. So that that's that's thrilling for me to understand because my grandparents were Methodist and Church of God, uh, Church of Christ and Holiness. So I'm looking at them and I'm seeing things differently. So the the entire museum, to, to uh, there's so much, so much living, so much breathing, seeing the people, seeing the artifacts, seeing a, 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 a tool made by Native Americans. That's something because somebody made that too. Who is that person? So that's how I go through a museum trying to understand when I look at the lynching monoliths, who is that unknown person? What were they doing? Why were they lynched? That's how I critically go through the museum. I want to know about the, the people. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Powerful stuff. For more information on openings of the two Mississippi museums, Google the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum or the Mississippi History Museum. And for more information about openings across the state of Mississippi, go to visitmississippi.org. Hey, Mark, when we were talking about the opening of the museums, that that big Mm -hmm. bicentennial celebration. So your nonprofit program, Sparkomatic was involved with with like with all that, right? What did y'all well, do? We had an opportunity to like right down the street from the uh, from the two museums, they uh, we got invited in to the kids had worked on a um uh because we're at Megar Evers Library and the kids had done a story um our, I think this is uh you haven't finished a sentence yet. Oh, I haven't yet. It's Faulknerian. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we, we did, um, uh, Megar Evers, yeah, where Megar Evers lives today because it, you know, kind of bringing, bring, you know, the past Megar Evers and, uh, to the library today. But, uh, we were able to show that, that, uh, documentary is a great, it's a great little documentary, um, at, at a little side event that it was associated with museums and the kids just, just seeing them share that, that, that video and, and things with, with people from, you know, far away places was just amazing. And it kind of spurred, like we, I set them loose. This is the early days of Sparkomatic. So I just set everybody loose with the camera and we had so much footage. I mean, they were just docu- doc- documenting the, the launch of the two museums. It was just a great day yeah, for them. For- you asked a good question. If there was anything back at, at MWB that was the analog to the fake mummy at the old Capitol Museum, and I'm 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 racking my brain. I know for this. Maybe the picture of the founders in some way. If we found out it was a yeah. fake, it is. <laughs> it is creepy. It is. It's, it's in that back hallway, and and and, it, and I don't know if you've ever driven by that road at night, and you know, there's that door that's got the window on it, 
and there's a there's a light right above the picture and it's like shining down on the picture. Oh, yeah, and the roof is making those weird noises anyway. Yeah. And you, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, then uh, Harry Brown's eyes will follow you. Yeah, yeah, they will follow it's, you. It's actually. just like on Gil- Gilligan's Island when they would go and the, explore the caverns and there was this ghost or whatever that would. I don't, <laughs> wait, there was a there was a ghost on Gilligan's Island? No, it was a no. It was Are you thinking about Scooby Doo? Yeah, I think I'm, everything's coming together what, for what, me. No, 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 no. Wait, wasn't <laughs> what wasn't Scooby Doo? Like, didn't they do a Gilligan's Island episode? Like Scooby and Shaggy visited Gilligan. It it probably came together, and then there was this. There was some kind of Gilligan's Island thing where there's a there was a portrait that followed you. Portrait on the island? Like, did it wash up? Because they were stranded. Yeah, it's got to be Scooby Doo. I think it's Scooby. It's the, old Man Withers. Were the Globetrotters involved <laughs> with Scatman Crothers in the in the episode? <laughs> probably, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of MWB 50 Special Podcast Series. 